Well, hello there. Um, apologies for being a couple of days late, um, but uh, I shall just uh, I'll just get on with it. Um, today I'm going to read once more from Salman Rushdie, this time from his memoir, Joseph Anton. Um, I mean, I made no apologies last week for returning to Rushdie, given that he's my favourite fiction writer. Um, but I should explain a little bit uh, why I'm reading this passage today. Um, today I just published um, a little article about the controversy surrounding a film in the UK called The Lady of Heaven, which is a film produced by a Shia Muslim, or made by a Shia Muslim, um, which is supposedly offensive to Sunni Muslims and... Um, well, essentially, lots of Muslims, Sunni Muslims, have been protesting this film. Um, you know, uh, you know, mobs of Muslims, Muslim men, uh, have been turning up to to cinema cinemas and uh, demanding that this film not be shown. Um, and I wrote a little piece about that and uh, its relation to um, free speech. And um, they have they have succeeded in having the film pulled or cancelled from Cineworld. Cineworld announced that it would no longer screen the film uh, because of these protests. And uh, I wrote a little piece about it, which I will link to below. Um, and at the same time, I have been rereading um, Joseph Anton, Salman Rushdie's memoir, which is a great book, one of my favourite books, actually. And... Uh, I quote uh, I, I quote from a passage um, in the article that I wrote, um, which I think has some relevance to what's been going on today. It involves a trashy film and uh, censorship and free speech and all the rest of it. So it's only a couple of pages, so I'm going to just get on with it and read it out. I'll just clarify uh, quickly that... Uh, um, the Joseph Anton is written in the third person for stylistic reasons that we don't need to get into here. Um, but you know, so it's written from Rushdie's perspective, but in the third person. So, uh, just so that you are not confused. Now then, let's just uh, get on with it then. So, here we go. The Pakistani film International Gorilli, International Gorillas, produced by Sajjad Ghul, told the story of a group of local heroes of the type that would, in the language of a later age, come to be known as jihadis or terrorists, who vowed to find and kill an author called Salman Rushdie. The quest for Rushdie formed the main action of the film and his death was the film's version of a happy ending. Rushdie himself was depicted as a drunk, constantly swigging from a bottle and a sadist. He lived in what looked very like a palace on what looked very like an island in the Philippines. Clearly all novelists had second homes of this kind. Being protected by what looked very like the Israeli army, this presumably being a service offered by Israel to all novelists, and he was plotting the overthrow of Pakistan by the fiendish means of opening chains of discotheques and gambling dens across that pure and virtuous land, a perfidious notion for which, as the British Muslim leader Iqbal Sakrani might have said, 
death was too light a punishment. Rushdie was dressed exclusively in a series of hideously coloured safari outsuits. Vermilion safari suits, aubergine safari suits, cerise safari suits, and the camera, whenever it fell upon the figure of this vile personage, invariably started at his feet and then panned with slow menace up to his face. So the safari suits got a lot of screen time, and when he saw a videotape of the film, the fashion insult wounded him deeply. It was, however, oddly satisfying to read that one result of the film's popularity in Pakistan was that the actor playing Rushdie became so hated by the film-going public that he had to go into hiding. At a certain point in the film, one of the international gorilla was captured by the Israeli army and tied to a tree in the garden of the palace in the Philippines so that Rushdie could have his evil way with him. Once Rushdie had finished drinking from his bottle and lashing the poor terrorist with a whip, once he had slaked his filthy lust for violence upon the young man's body, he handed the innocent would-be murderer over to the Israeli soldiers and uttered the only genuinely funny line in the film. Take him away, he cried, and read to him from the satanic verses all night. Well, of course, the poor fellow cracked completely. Not that, anything but that, he blubbered as the Israelis led him away. At the end of the film, Rushdie was indeed killed, not by the international gorilla, but by the word itself, by thunderbolts unleashed by three large Korans hanging in the sky over his head, which reduced the monster to ash. Personally fried by the book of the Almighty, there was dignity in that. On 22nd of July 1990, the British Board of Film Classification refused International Gorilla a certificate on the fairly self-evident grounds that it was libelous and because the BBFC feared, feared that if it were to license the film and the real rush they were to sue for defamation, the board could be accused of having become party to the libel and could therefore be sued for damages as well. This placed the real Rushdie in something of a quandary. He was fighting a battle for free speech, and yet he was being defended in this case by an act of censorship. On the other hand, the film was a nasty piece of work. In the end, he wrote a letter to the BBFC formally giving up his right of legal recourse, assuring the board that he would pursue neither the filmmaker nor the board itself in the courts, and that he did not wish to be accorded, quote, the dubious protection of censorship. The film should be shown so that it could be seen for the, quote, distorted, incompetent piece of trash that it is. On 17th of August, as a direct result of his intervention, the board unanimously voted to licence the film, whereupon, in spite of all the producer's efforts to promote it, it immediately sank without trace, because it was a rotten film, and no matter what its intendance, no matter what its intended audience may have thought about Rushdie, or even Rushdie, they were too wise to throw their money away on tickets for a dreadful film. It was for him an object lesson in the importance of the better out than in free speech argument.
that it was better to allow even the most reprehensible speech than to sweep it under the carpet, better to publicly contest and perhaps deride what was loathsome than to give it the glamour of taboo, and that, for the most part, people could be trusted to tell the good from the bad. If international gorilla had been banned, it would have become the hottest of hot videos, and in the parlours of Bradford and Whitechapel, young Muslim men would have gathered behind closed curtains to rejoice in the frying of the apostate. Out in the open, subjected to the judgment of the market, it shriveled like a vampire in sunlight and was gone. And that is that. Uh, as I said, I'll link to the piece that I wrote about um, this film in which I quote from that passage um, uh, below. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I shall try to do something other than Salman Rushdie next time I do a reading. But I won't promise anything. Um, you know, I don't want to uh, be beholden to any promises. So, but I, But I will do my best. Anyway, that's all for now. Uh, thanks a lot for listening and uh, have a good rest of your week.